0: All right, Advent, uh, this, this season where we celebrate the coming of the Lord, is, it's really uh, about hope. It's about hope. We, we have this, this hope that there is something better coming, a better kingdom, a better ruler. And so hope uh, has to rest on something or someone. You know, we usually, we usually don't have general feelings of hope, hope has to, to latch on to something. I know be- no better uh, illustration than uh, the past election season. People on both sides have various hopes, and they latched on. And you can see when hope is disappointed, how people react. You can see when hope is realized, how people re- react. It's, it latches on to something. It has to, or it's not hope. Often hope is is latched on to a leader. And the rise or fall or the success are... are uh, Whatever the unsuccess is, I can't think of the word. The failure, there it is. Whatever that happens, our hope kind of rises and falls with that. But we have a better leader and a true king, Jesus Christ. And we need to ask ourselves, how is our hope shaped by Christ being our true leader and king? How is our hope shaped by Christ being our true leader and king? And king. All right, so we're going to talk about who David is. Look at, at verse 1. When the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. So if you're not familiar with David, he uh, even gives you a summary in verse 8. It says, so now this is what you are saying to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, to be the ruler over my people Israel. So David was uh, the last of eight sons. He wasn't a very in, important individual if, from, a, from a, a grand narrative. He, he was just a normal guy having a regular job in obscurity. Shepherding sheep in obscurity. Verse 9 says, I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I've destroyed all your enemies before you. God took him from this humble position to be the king of Israel to unite Israel and to and to give it peace from its enemies you can my son is being real loud in here <laughs> uh, he likes to roar sorry uh, so so God took him from his hum- humble position and made him king and if you follow the story of David he had battle after battle and fight after fight and God continued to deliver him one of the notable things about David is the scripture says that he was a man after God's own heart. From my understanding, he is the, the only uh, man with that description. So I always like to ask myself, well, what, what makes him a man after God's own heart? Because how, how, I want to be that. What, what are the distinctions that, that, that made him this way? Well, one, he wanted to honor God. You can see it from his prayer. He's not chiefly concerned about himself. He's concerned about God's glory. Not only did he want to honor God, he wanted to reflect God's character. You know, he had all these times to get back at his enemies. His main enemy being Saul, he had these times to kill him. And he often, well, he didn't kill him. He never did. He often restrained himself because he wanted to reflect God's character. This is what we should strive for, to be someone who wants to honor God above everything and strive to reflect God's character. Now, let's look at David's request, because this reflects the fact that he was a man after God's own heart. In verse 2, it says, The king said to the prophet Nathan, Look, I am living in a cedar house, while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, Go and do all that's in your mind, for the Lord is with you. You know, Caleb mentioned earlier that the ark is the representation of God's presence. They considered it the seat of God's throne. It was a sign to all of Israel that he was present and reigning in the midst of them. It was the focal point of connection. If they were to ask, how do we know that God is with us? They would say, well, go to the temple. His throne is right there people would even pray towards the temple symbolizing we know that his presence dwells that there uniquely and David looked at his cedar house his his palace if you will and he says well shouldn't God have a better house than me I have a nice house I have this palace I have everything that I need but but God is in this tabernacle, this tent. It's not as nice as mine. And what I love about that is this shows his love for God. It shows that he didn't treat God like a genie. You ever seen Aladdin? That's dating me a little bit. That's a little old. Now listen, the genie was sad about something. Y'all remember? He was sad because all his quote-unquote masters, all the people whom he granted requests for, didn't care anything about him. You remember that? They didn't didn't care about him. And what set Aladdin apart was he cared about the genie. The genie wasn't just a genie. He was a friend and someone whom he wanted to honor. We need to be careful that we don't treat God like a genie. As someone who just grants us requests for us to spend on our, our own pleasures. But if we were going to be people after God's own heart, we would honor our friend and our Savior. See, we, we should not only want what he can provide, but, but want his glory and his honor. You know, we pray the Lord's Prayer every week. The, per, the first petition is, may your name be honored as holy. Before you get to forgive my sins, before you get to give me what I need today, it's you be glorified. That's what honors God. Now, the interesting thing is is that was a nice request. We can all look at the the request and say, oh, man, that's a nice request. And even uh, uh, Nathan, the prophet, he was like, yeah, you should probably go ahead and do that. But actually, God says no. Look at verse 4. It says, but that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I've been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. What this illustrates to us is that God has no needs. God is self-sufficient. Listen, when we are serving God, we're not filling something up from which he lacks. It's it's not that if we don't serve God, he's like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do today? No, he he, he needs nothing. He is self-sufficient. We honor him. And listen. And are honored by serving him. You know, there's something interesting that I never really understood. You know, you watch like a sports, uh, like a basketball game or something, and you know, say somebody famous, like you know Kobe or LeBron, like they'll wipe their face with a towel and then throw it down, and somebody's like, "I got the towel." Like I'm like, that's nasty. But you know what I mean? But, but, like, but the idea is just to like, man, I, I feel honored to have this towel that he wiped the sweat off with. Now that, that doesn't do nothing for. For LeBron, right? He's like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, like, but the idea is that when we serve God, when we seek to honor him, that we are honored ourselves by being in close proximity to him. That's the crazy thing about serving God. It's not that we are filling up some lack that he has, but it's that we are receiving glory and honor ourselves from serving him. This is why we serve him. We serve him not only because we have some sense of dignity and honor by serving him, but all the ways that we serve him, if you look scripturally, they are service to others. Love your enemy. Pray for those who curse you. See, by serving God, we are serving others. These are the motivations, not because we're like, I did God a favor. He don't need no favors from you. But... He gives us proximity to him, and he gives us the honor of helping others. What's interesting is we can see that God likes to be mobile around his people. He's like, I, I got this tent, you know what I'm saying? Wherever y'all go, I can go. See, the purpose of the tabernacle was to be near. It's, it's not because he needed a place to live. He lives in heaven. He was like, I wish I had a nice house. Now he has the most beautiful house that we cannot even imagine. But he would condescend to live in a tent so that he could be with his people. See, the ark and the tabernacle and the temple, they were symbols of God's rule and his presence among his people. It was a symbol and a sacrament. What's so crazy is is the Lord has given us one of those, the Lord's Supper, which we take every week. It's a symbol and a sacrament that God is with us. That we would remember him, though, though he does not need to be confined to bread and, and juice. He doesn't, he doesn't have to be confined that way. He wants to draw near to us and he will humble himself to do it. So in, in, in view of him asking, of David asking God for something, God actually gives him something. David blesses David. Look at verse 10. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evil will not continue to oppress them as they have done. You know, what's interesting is that it's, the whole promise is really to David and his descendant, but we can see the purpose of it. The purpose is actually not about David. Right, He said, I'm going to prepare a place for my people. I don't want people to be oppressed anymore. God blesses David in order to bless his people. And that is his method. Beloved, if he has blessed you, it's not just so that you can store it up. He blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. We distribute what has been given to us. That's why we're we're generous with with our, our money when people are in need. Some of you have been blessed with unique and wonderful gifts, and those are not just so that you can have fun by yourself, but so that you can use whatever gifts the Lord has given you to serve his people. I love his promise that God will give his people a peaceful and a just society. This is like the central human longing. Like, will everything just be okay? Can can we just fix it? Just fix it. Make it right so that people aren't hurting, so that people aren't oppressing one another. And we have this tendency to look to human leaders to provide that for us. And we have this great promise that God himself will provide this just and peaceful society. And we get from this text that God takes oppression seriously and will deal with it. Oppression is a word I don't feel like is defined a lot. We talk about it a lot. But but a way to understand oppression is, is sin plus power. Sin plus power, okay? We, we, we intuitively know this. Like, you know, if me and Caleb got into a fight, you know, that probably wouldn't be good. You know, I'd be like, what y'all doing? But if I got into a fight with my baby, y'all be like, hey, yo, that's a baby. Like, <laughs> but you get it. It could be the same action, but you're like, but that's, that's some authority. You can't just be, that, that's, that's why oppression is such, an, such a big deal. It's sin plus an abuse of power, an abuse of authority. And God hates it because God gave authority to serve. And humans take it to be self-centered. This is a warning to us. All of us have different and various levels of authority in our lives. And we know that God hates oppression. So if you have influence and authority, do not abuse it. Because you will find your enemy to be God himself. God promises that a descendant of David will bless his house. Look at verse 11. Ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel, I will give rest from all your enemies, the Lord declares to you. The Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you, your descendant who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So he makes some pretty significant promises here. The ruler of this peaceful and just society will be a descendant of David. And God will build a dynasty for David. That's what he means when I'm going to be like David said, I'm to, can I build your house? And God's like, no, I'm gonna build you a house. I'm gonna build you a dynasty. And, and God will build a kingdom for David's son. Now, there's some really unique promises. See, God promises that this descendant will have a throne that lasts forever. In verse 13, he says, he is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, a just society ruled by a good and just ruler will last forever. See, the longevity of the ruler ensures the permanence of the good kingdom. Because he will always rule, because he will always have a throne, because he will not die. He will ensure peace and justice forever. Makes this other unique promise that God will be like a father to him. Verse 14, I will be his father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. This is the language of representation. He will be God's representation to his people and to the nations. See, a mature son reflects and represents his father. He's like, I'm not going to send you somebody I don't know. I'm going to send you a representative who accurately understands who I am, who can accurately tell you what I told you because he hadn't been with me. Look at Deuteronomy 17, 19. This is a command for the kings. God's word, this is for the kings. God's word is to remain with him and he is to read it from all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction and to do these statutes. He's saying, saying King, you, you're going to represent me. In order to represent me, you got to know who I am. And in order to know who I am, you got to understand my word. Now, beloved, if we are in Christ, are we not children of God? Do we not have this, this uh, job of representing who he is to people? That's what that means. It's a, it's a huge, huge honor. And beloved, if we want to do it justice, we would honor getting in the scriptures. If I want to be an accurate reflection of the Father, I have to know his word. That's why we, this is going to get real practical. That's why we have a church Bible reading plan. You're going to find it on the website that we want to be consistent in our scripture reading so that when times come to represent God, that we have an accurate reflection. And see, because of this responsibility of representing God, God will discipline him. See, to represent God is a big deal, and God will not be misrepresented forever. So, beloved, if we have the name Christian and we say that we are his child, we need to understand that is a great blessing, but a great responsibility, and we do not need to misrepresent him because he will discipline us if we do. Hebrews 13. That's a shout out. See, the, the interesting thing is this is partially fulfilled in Solomon. Solomon is, is David's son. He's the next king of Israel. He, he builds a temple. He was, a, he was disciplined, yet Solomon's kingdom and the temple he built were destroyed. If you go to Israel, you will not find Solomon's temple there. So it wasn't fulfilled in Solomon because he did not have an eternal kingdom. And so by the time that, that the Jews were waiting for Jesus, they were waiting on this promise. When is this kingdom going to come? When is this this king who is going to uproot oppression going to come? When is this king who's going to rule with justice forever? Where is he at? And beloved, this prophecy of this eternal good king and his just kingdom is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Listen, this. this is Matthew 2 verses 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at his rising and have come to worship him. In fact, the first verse of Matthew 1, it says, this is an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This is ancestry. And the very next thing it says is the son of David. See, the the apostles knew that that Jesus, he he just wasn't some random person who was really good. That he was the promised king who will come and fulfill all of God's promises. When when Christ is born in a manger, this is the, the accomplishment of God's promises. And we find all the promises in, that, in that, that scripture to David are actually fulfilled in Jesus. And this is good news for us. Do you remember when he said that, that I'm going to build my temple? Listen, listen, Jesus Christ is the temple. John 2 verse 19, it says, Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews says, the temple took 46 years to build and you're going to do it in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And get this, and they believed the scripture. Which scripture? <laughs> the one we just read about. They believed the scripture and the statement that Jesus Made. See, the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. Jesus was the living, walking tabernacle. So that if you were standing next to Jesus, all of the, 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 the glory and the goodness of God that fills all of the heavens actually dwelt inside of him. And he decided to come and live among us in our pain, in our brokenness not only was he the temple he is and was God's son remember that means it's he's God's representative that when he speaks he speaks with authority as God's representative one of the things that they often commented when Jesus would teach they would say he don't teach like them other people he teach like one who got authority why because he is the son so much so he says I don't say anything I don't hear the father say I don't do anything I don't see the father doing the perfect representative and beloved. He will have a kingdom that will last forever because he defeated death. Remember, if there is a just ruler who lives forever, we can be ensured that his kingdom will last forever. The scripture says that Jesus died and he rose, resurrected and he's not going to die again. If we put our trust in him, our hope is sure because he will always be around to fulfill his promises. Here's the craziest thing. You remember that promise about being disciplined? If your your son trips out, that's Will Bross' translation. If your son trip out, I'm going to use people to discipline him. He says he's going to be punished with blows from mere mortals. Now, here's the craziest thing. Jesus Christ did not need to be disciplined. He was righteous and holy. He did nothing wrong. There was not a moment that you could point at and say he was in sin. Yet he was disciplined and beloved, he was disciplined because of us. See this kingdom, he he wants to extend entrance to it for everybody. But the entrance into God's kingdom is through obedience. And beloved, me and you, we have not been perfectly obedient. But Jesus, because of his love for us, took the blows and the whips and the punishment from mere men so that our sins could be forgiven. Beloved, this is the substitution that he has done. Though he deserved no discipline, deserved no punishment, deserved no blows, he took them for us so that we could enjoy the promises, get this, made to him. He gets a kingdom and we get to live in it. Listen, these give us benefits right now. Now, this, the New Testament has this, this, this trajectory of this temple language. Now, we, we get that. Uh, the scripture says that Jesus himself, his body was the temple. Now, you don't have to be a super New Testament, you know, scholar to, to ask this question. Well, who is Jesus' body now? The church the church. Because of what Jesus has done, the presence of God now lives in you. We don't have to go to a temple in Jerusalem. We don't have to offer any sacrifices because he has taken care of that. Not only this, we will have a king that will live forever. Listen, everybody around us, their hopes rise and fall, rise and fall. They're excited one day, to discourage the next. Why? Because when you hope, you don't hope in something nebulous, you hope in something tangible. And when you hope in something tangible and something that is fleeting, that means your hope goes like this. But beloved, if we have hope in a king who will not die, our hope does not have to fluctuate. We don't have to be like, oh no, what's going, what about, what if, no, 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 we have a king. And he's not going to die. And he's going to ensure that his plans for us and for the world will get accomplished. So our hope doesn't have to go up and down. He will bring that peaceful and just society. As surely as he came the first time, he will come the second. And so in view of this, what should we do? Beloved, we don't want to just hear God's word. We want to obey it. Yeah, we want to obey it. I think the first thing that we should do is understand that we have to take time to commune, to be with the Lord. Now, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to slow down. I want to make sure we get this. In the temple, I'm talking about back in the day when there was a temple, they had set times of prayer. The Jews, they would pray three or four times a day. You're like, doggone. Yeah, they they would take time to do that. I want you to understand something. The earliest followers of Jesus, the apostles and the people that they led, they actually carried that practice over. They didn't have to continue going to the temple, but they did continue regular times of prayer. This is interesting to know. So a lot of times, if you ask about your prayer life, you're like, well, you know, I pray as I go. You should do it. You should do that. But you know, in in any type of relationship, you, you, you can't only text a little bit. You know what I'm saying? You actually have to have a, you know, a face-to-face conversation, and it's not really a good relationship. And not only this, don't you understand that the person that you hang out with the most, you begin to act like? Y'all know that? Okay, okay. Do y'all want to be like Jesus? I do. What well, we got to do? We got to be with him. We have to be with him. So listen, I, I want to tell you, this is what the early church would do. They continue that three or four times a day with the Lord. In the morning, they would pray and be with the Lord. After lunch, they would pray and be with the Lord. In the evening, they would pray and be with the Lord. And Before they went to bed, they would pray and be with the Lord. What would they do? What would they do during those times? Similar things as they would do with the temple. They would read scripture. And they would offer up the sincere requests, desires of their own heart. Now listen. I don't want to just tell you that I, I want you to have some tangible, like, okay, if I wanted to do that, what would I do? Okay, we have scripture already for everybody to read. It's, it's our own Bible reading plan. So if you were to take time, that's the scripture you would read. And what about prayer? I, I, I remember when I first learned to pray, I feel like people made it seem like it was real easy. And I go to pray and I'd be like, like, uh, you know, like, what do I do right now? So I'm going to give you a tool. I'm going to give you a tool. We say this one prayer. Every week, the Lord's Prayer, yeah? Let me give you a tool to help uh, in your prayer life. If you would slowly pray through that prayer and let it be a launch pad. So, for instance, our Father in heaven, Lord, thank you that you're my Father. Thank you that you are in heaven. That means you control everything. Lord, help me to feel that you are near. Or what? Your kingdom come. That means we want your influence here. There's a tons of things in my life that I need his influence in. Lord, let your kingdom come in my job. Let your kingdom come in my family. Let your kingdom come in my neighborhood. Yeah? Or what about this? Forgive me my sin. Y'all got some sins in there? Man, listen, that's a perfect time to confess sin. You know, lately, as as I've been praying the Lord's Prayer, and it gets to that part where it says, you know, forgive my sins as I also forgive those who sin against me. That last part, I'm like, I don't always do that. (laughs) And I need to linger. There. Are the people that I'm holding grudges with? Lord, would you help me with that? Lead me not into temptation. What are your besetting sins? What are the things that keep tripping you up? I know I'm making this plain, but I I, I want it to be very clear what the Lord have you to do. If you would, listen, if you would take some time out of your day reading Scripture and slowly going through the Lord's prayer, you would have something to do and you would be meeting with the Lord. Now, listen, if you don't ever do that, I'm not telling you go from zero to three or four times a day. OK, if you like, I don't never really sit down and pray. Do it one time a day. Look, I don't know about you. I, I struggle to get up in the morning. When I was first starting, morning wasn't it for me. I'm just be honest. But I had a lunch break and I didn't eat the whole lunch break. <laughs> so I'd eat and I'd have like, you know, 15, 20 minutes. That's when I could pray. I, I, I know I'm getting real in the weeds, but I, re- I really want us to not only hear about what we should do, but to actually have tools to do it. If you already do it one time a day, pick, pick another time. You know, the staff, I, I want our staff to be uh, people who pray, and so they are challenged that you have to spend 30 minutes with the Lord a day. Set your timer. Beloved, I want to give you tools. If you, if you are still exploring, what would that look like? Look, I'm your pastor. I'm here for you. Let's talk. I want you to grow in prayer. Beloved, Another application is that we would have bold confidence. Listen, we, we are not people who have to be scared about what will happen. We don't, our, our emotions don't have to rise and fall with the news coverage. Okay? We, it, we don't, we don't, I know it's a scary time, but beloved, we know the king of the universe. And he loves us. So we can have a bold confidence, confidence that is not marked with anxiety and fear. That's a mark of a believer, and we need to ask the Lord for it. And finally, we need to do some prophetic action of the future kingdom. Remember he said there's a kingdom that's coming that won't have oppression. Remember that part? Okay, what does that, what, what, what could we, what kind of lives could we live if we say we are trusting that that's coming, and we're going to see a little bit of that now through our lives? It means that we would do works of justice now. And again, you're like, well, what is the work of justice that we should do? We've been talking about this a lot. We all have callings. We all have relationships. We all have roles and responsibilities. Look through that and think, how could I do works of justice? How could I be extra kind? How could I protect those who are under my authority? How could I do acts of kindness to those whom I work with? That is the work of justice right now. So, beloved, we have a king. His name is Jesus. He has come. He reigns in heaven. He will come again. He has made us the temple. Let's pray. Let's have bold confidence. And let's do works of justice now. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, we want to be people who don't just hear your word. We want to be people who do your word. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, Would you help us to obey you, Lord? Not because we're earning anything, because you have earned salvation for us, but because we want to be near you and we want to be like you. And we want to see your kingdom, your influence, touch every area of our lives, every area of our families' lives, our neighborhood, our communities. Lord, we want to see that peace, that justice, that joy just expand and spread everywhere where we are at. And so, Lord, we're asking that you would use us as tools for your kingdom by the power of your spirit. Lord, as we are about to take communion, Lord, I'm praying that you would meet us in that act. Just as you have spoken to us through your word, would you speak to us through your visible word? Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.